This is Human Architects, where your development is yours and no one else's, so never accept blanket advice because you're too awesome for that. I'm Harlem, and I'm your host. This is episode 10, and the topic is minimalism. Let's get started. So today I'm going to share with you guys about my journey to becoming a minimalist. And it took me a long time to actually realize how bad it had gotten. And through a series of steps that occurred in my life, It led me to becoming what I would call probably the worst consumerist possible. So unlike the other episodes where I talk about different topics, this time it's going to be a story, kind of like a timeline of my life of major events that I realized caused or created the consumerist that I had become. The first one was at age five. At age five, I remember getting my allowance from my dad. I negotiated for it. I was like, dad, you know, you give uh, my sister allowance. And so I deserve allowance. So I took this allowance that I got, I think it was $10 a week. And I took this $10 a week and I bought candy and then I sold it to my friends. And I remember from the $10 I got from my dad, I made about $25 from selling candy. And it was the first time I realized that money equaled power and power equaled the capacity to decide. Then at age 12, I got my first job. And when I got my first job, of course, it's not legal to work. Yeah, but I wanted my independence, right? Because I understood that the more money I had, the more freedom I had to decide. So I got my first job and I worked on the weekends and I made anywhere from two to $300 cash. In some countries, that's what you make per month. So I took this two to $300 per cash. And just so you know, I was selling clothes for my mother's friend um, who had a boutique so I worked for her on the weekends, um, and I earned two or three hundred dollars per weekend. The problem was that, is that I realized that I can now buy without question. So money equals power equals autonomy equals buying whatever I want without question. Then I turned 16 and I got my first, well, not my first because I had some jobs before, but I got my first big job, right? I started to work for Sears Roebuck and at Sears Roebuck, I was doing telemarketing and I became really good really quickly. I was one of the top sales reps in the world, not in the world because they're not in the world, but in the the country. I made the company anywhere from $10,000 to $30,000 just in one day. My bosses waited for me to come to work, like how a child waits for their mother to come home. And I started to make about $600 a week. This is after bonuses and this is after taxes. Can you imagine what a 16-year-old making $600 a week cash after taxation and paying limited a tax because I was a minor? So then I started to understand that money equals power, equals the ability to decide, equals autonomy, equals buy, 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 buy. It was over. I bought everything. I bought everything and anything I wanted. I threw myself lavish parties, rented out clubs, rented out rented out spaces. And I just started to live. If, if it doesn't make me a dollar, I'm not doing it. So I switched from this person who did things that I did in my professional life because 
I wanted to. And I was like, okay, well, the more you do, the more money you earn, the more money you earn, the more stuff you buy, the more autonomy you have, right? And this autonomy leads you to buy more stuff. So then at age 18, I got another job. I started to work at uh, Applebee's and I was a waitress and I was a really good waitress. And I started to make, and I know some of you will not believe this, but I started to make anywhere from $1,000 to $2,000 a week. Um, And I think the biggest tip I've ever gotten was about $200. And I know you're wondering who would give you $200 a tip at Applebee's? Well, when you have charm and you have grace and you get people really, really drunk while they're on their visit, it happens, right? So um, once I started to make this money at age 18, you created or I created another monster. I bought everything. I bought cars. I remember my very first car was a, what was it, a Nissan? Well, I can't remember the name of it because I bought many cars. So I've bought in my life maybe about 10 cars. So I bought cars. I bought clothes, I bought accessories, I bought everything I could possibly buy because money equaled freedom. Oh, no, money equaled power, power equaled autonomy, and then autonomy equaled buy, 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 and that to me equaled satisfaction. So at 18, I was like, okay, so I buy what I want and I get this instant gratification and that's great. So I bought whatever I wanted. So at the end of the summer, of this lavish uh, 1000 or 2000 that I was making at Applebee's, it, it was time for me to leave to go to college. And because I had already become a consumerist and I'd already began to buy things based on instant gratification, I packed my father's minivan with as much stuff as I could possibly take. I was moving to a dorm room where they had told me, you can't have a microwave, you can't have cooking utensils, you can't have a TV, and to me, authority, I was like, what? What do you mean I can't have that? I can buy it. I don't ask my parents what I can have, so I'm not going to listen to you about what I can have. I'm going to buy it because money equals power. Power equals the ability to buy, and that equals autonomy. So I bought what I wanted. I bought a big TV. I bought a microwave. I bought enough kitchen um, equipment to make Martha Stewart uh, question herself. And I moved all of that into my small, small, small room. Still, I didn't realize at that moment that I had been a prisoner to my possessions and I had become a consumerist. At age 21, I decided to buy myself a truck. I bought myself, what was it, a Chevy Blazer? Yes, I bought myself a Chevy Blazer, limited edition Chevy Blazer with heated seats, leather decked out, and a system that made the, the, the neighborhood rock. I paid cash for it because I'd realized that If I earn more money, then I have money to buy what I want and I can buy anything. So now my desires went from clothes and material possessions to big possessions, things that people could see. So I bought my first, well, not my first, was probably my third or second car, but now I own a truck. So 21, I bought this truck, but it wasn't satisfying for me. It wasn't enough. So age 25 came. I sold a truck. I bought a new car. I bought myself a Nissan Altima. No, no, Nissan Maxima. I can't even remember. That's how important it was. So I bought a Nissan Maxima, limited edition, all other seats, of course, with all the trimmings. And I look today to see the value of that car. I think it, my car probably was worth about twenty or twenty-five thousand, but today it's worth about forty thousand. 
And I think the thing about that was I, I was like, I can pay cash, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much I'm spending because I'm spending it in cash. So every purchase I made in my life, I made in cash because I understood that the more that I work myself, the more money that I get and the more freedom that I have. So age 25, I fall in love with a wonderful person and we decide to get an apartment. I buy everything that I could possibly buy because it was money equals autonomy, power, and I want everything that I can have. I want to show this person that's in my life that I can have everything. We even bought motorcycles. I remember buying motorcycles and at 25, I could not even ride a bike. And I was like, it doesn't matter if I can ride a bike. I want a motorcycle, so I will buy a motorcycle. Matter of fact, I'll take two. So I bought my boyfriend a motorcycle and I bought myself a motorcycle, convincing myself that I needed this. This was going to make me look and feel better. Age 27 comes by. My relationship with my wonderful boyfriend ends. I say wonderful because uh, we have this bad habit that when relationships end with the people in our lives, we tend to kill it like how you would kill something that stole. uh, I mean, well, not stole, but like how you... You kill, I can't really find an example, but to get back to that, the point is that I did not want to kill my relationship with my ex-boyfriend that I loved. So today he is my friend and he has a child. And if any time I can do something for him, I will. So to get back to my story, our relationship ended and we're still friends today. I'm really grateful for that. Um, I guess another podcast, I will do um, a discussion about the impact that we have in our lives when we end our personal relationships by severing every piece of communication, every piece of love, and every piece of respect. And I do not try to end any of my personal relationships with my partners in this way because there are moments in my life that I only shared with that person and by cutting them out, I cut them out of my life and I cut those memories and moments out of my life. And I never want to take any moment or any day of my life for granted. So These people will remain my friends and my partners, not in a sexual capacity, but my partners in life for a long time. Because at one point I said to them that I would give you my most valuable possession, my heart and my soul. So getting back to my story, and one day I'll do a podcast on that, I'm not sure when. So getting back to my story, so I decide, okay, I'm leaving, I'm moving from Brooklyn and I'm going to Manhattan, I'm going to Harlem to live my new single life. I leave most of the stuff that we bought together in the apartment, most of the stuff, but yet I still needed a U-Haul truck and all my big brawly male cousins to move all of my stuff from Brooklyn to Manhattan. I was moving into a one-bedroom apartment. Even with a a U-Haul truck full of stuff, it was not enough. The next day I went online and I went to Ikea and I went to every store possible and I dropped about $10,000 to make my apartment the most feng shui apartment possible. I had furniture that you couldn't even sit on because it was sexy. My my kitchen looked like it was a bar bar slash, uh, I don't know, bistro. Everything you could possibly want. I had a bed that had levels and decks and drawers underneath it. It was so fancy that the, the guys that delivered it had to cut it, not cut it in half, but had to bring it in pieces and reassemble my bed. I had shoes that lined my hallways as my hallway was probably about, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 feet. My shoes lined my hallways. I packed my apartment in one day full of so much stuff that in the end, I probably could not list for you the things I had because they didn't matter. 
So age 32 came around and I decided that I was going to get my MBA. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to get my MBA. I'm moving to France. I need to get everything possible. I dropped maybe five or $10,000 buying everything possible. I shipped from New York City to France 850 kilos of stuff. 850 kilos of stuff is 100, no, 1,873.99 pounds of stuff I bought from New York to France. Typically, when you fly in an airplane, you have 50 pounds per bag. So you can imagine the level of consumerism that I was having, not including the things that I brought on the plane. So why did I need to bring so many things to France? France is a developed country. Everything I need, I can buy in France. I bought things that didn't even make sense. And so I made a little list of some of the things that I brought so you can have a sense of the stupidity and the consumerism that I was engraved with or I was engulfed with. Because yet I had not been honest with myself about my problem with my possessions and the fact that I thought money equaled power, equal autonomy, equal stuff, equal gratification, equals consumerism. Now I understand it equals a possession prison. So some of the things that I brought with me, my 850 kilos, were a skateboard that I barely ever used, maybe once or twice, and I still can't skateboard. Roller skates, the vintage kind and the ones that you use outside. I brought two years worth of makeup, two years worth of conditioner, two years worth of oils, 20 suits, maybe 500 pieces of clothes, at least 30 to 50 um, pairs of shoes, not including my sneakers, which was a completely different thing. Kitchen utensils, again, to make Martha Stewart question herself. Five pairs of sneakers as if I had 10 feet. All the Jamaican spices I could have because I was originally born in Jamaica. All the American spices that I thought that France wouldn't have. Why, would, why wouldn't France have it? France has access to the same thing as America. Books. I bought about 20 or 30 books that, if I'm honest with you, since I've been here, I probably haven't read one. I bought aerobic equipment. So me, I was like, I'm going to come to France and I want to have my own custom-made gym. I bought a stepper. I bought yoga mats, Pilates mats. I bought yoga balls, stretching balls. I bought weights. Who brings weights to another country? I did. And I was sure it was correct. My mother and my sister watched me pack and they said to themselves, what are you doing? Where are you going? Why are you taking all this stuff? And if you don't, the worst part about it was even with all these things that I had packed and I had brought to France, I had still managed to fill my mother's basement to capacity with my stuff, stuff that I had not yet let go. This is beyond the fact that I had sold so much stuff over the summer. And though I've made some friends in selling the stuff that I've sold, they weren't necessary in my life. So age 33 comes around and I decide to move into another apartment in France. It takes four or five trips in one car in order for me and four of my friends to move my stuff. So then again, I tried to, I moved again into another apartment, another four or five trips lugging, I don't know how many kilos of stuff. This led me to understand a couple of things. One, I was creating burdens on my relationships. Because every time I needed to move, I needed to ask my friends to come to spend their time and wastedly move my possessions from one place to another. I was beginning to be stressed by my own possessions. When I decided to pick up my bags and go someplace else, I had to plan, arrange, orchestrate, create. 
while I'd watch some of my friends that were minimalist by nature. They would say, yeah, I'm moving and I'm leaving. They would just throw all their stuff in one suitcase and walk away, one light suitcase. They were never any less happy or more happy than me. They were just content. But again, money equals power, equals autonomy, equals more stuff, which equals instant gratification, which I now understand equals a prison. The other impacts that were happening in my life was that I had now taken my mom's house and turned it into my own personal storage ca- uh, storage cabin. So can you imagine that my mom paid for a house? She paid every month, every year for a house for 20 or 30 years, but her daughter had turned it into a small storage capacity that said, this is where Harlan Williams stores all of her stuff. How dare I take my mom's personal space and create her, my own, I mean, I guess, I guess make her the warden and the guard of my possession prison. She could not use her basement. She could not do the things she wanted to do because my stuff needed a place to stay. Everything that I had bought, I had sold them. I could not remember them. So there was no point in having them. Another problem that came along was the judgment of others. My whole life, I spent time explaining to people why I had bought my stuff. Well, Harlem, you have so much stuff. Why do you have so much stuff? And yeah, of course, I don't have to explain this to anyone because I was paying cash. And if I'm paying cash for it, it's my business. I mean, I'm not borrowing it from you. And even if you're paying credit for it, you're not borrowing it from someone else. But I was paying cash for it. And I, I still realized that I had to constantly explain to people because I had so much stuff that it made other people uncomfortable. The final impact is I don't know how much money I've spent on these stuff, but I'm sure it's over hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. If I include my cars, if I include my apartments, I remember paying my apartment just because I thought money equal power, paying my rent. When I moved to Manhattan, I paid my rent one year in advance because I had no, no, no sense of money. I was like, okay, well, I earn it and I use it how I want and money equals power. And in that situation, it did equal a little bit of power because they lowered my rent, but still I was not really being honest with myself. So in October of 2016, I started to really think about what this meant. After making one final move and needing four or five trips, I started to realize that I was not any happier with the stuff that I had and that I still did not own the things that I needed that would add intentional value to my life. And this process was really interesting because it was the first time I started to let go. Of course, every year I gave to charity, but as I gave to charity, I bought new stuff. So I gave and I bought and I gave and I bought and I gave and I bought. And I started to look back and say, okay, do you even know what you own? So I took out everything that I owned and I looked at it and I said to myself, you've never even worn this. You don't even like this. This isn't even a color you appreciate. Where did you get this? And over several months and the kindness of my partner, we made several trips to the charity shop. I sold several things um, to different people, but always answering the question, why did I buy this? I didn't even remember buying this. So now the way that I approach buying stuff is with four simple steps. One, I think about it a lot. If I decide I need something, I think about it for about 30 days before I even consider the fact that I should buy it. And what I mean by that is in passing thoughts. Like, yeah, you know, you really do need that. Mm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you really do need that. Mm. Okay. Then 
I go to my wife, which is Amazon.com, and I drop some things in the cart and I let it sit for another 30 days. And I think about it again. Do you really need that? Do you really need that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Finally, if I go and I purchase it, I really have to know that I'm going to use this thing like every day or consciously. And if I buy one thing, I have to let something go. So that's my new rule. If one thing comes in, one thing goes out. And funny enough, every time I try to avoid that rule, if I do try, my partner's always like, remember one thing in, one thing out. So today, my journey to minimalism is not over for sure. I still have a lot more to learn and to grow because some of my possessions that I already own, I don't want to give them away because I feel like it's a waste. So I'm still a little bit technically a prisoner to my possessions, but for sure, I don't buy anything extra. I'm not buying anything that I know won't add value to my life and that I won't use. So what I do now, when I say prisoner to my possessions, I don't mean to things, I mean my clothes. So what I do now is that I wear my clothes onto the ground until they're done. And when they're done, I throw them in the garbage. I'm not going out to buy a new one. And I think over time, if I continue to do this, I will eventually end up with a small capsule or petite wardrobe. And this will be the wardrobe that I keep, replacing things only if I've beaten them into the ground and I don't have another replacement for them. So some of my essentials, uh, just to share with you guys, because I see sometimes that like people are, are curious about what makes your life every day. So my essentials are, of course, my laptop, right? Because I would not be able to make this podcast. Number two is my iPhone. And it's not because I use the phone because I don't really make phone calls, but um, there's some apps that you can only get on a phone. And then there's some apps you can get on your laptop and until they're able to convert all those apps to laptop apps, I'm going to be a prisoner of a phone. But if it was possible to, for example, I use MyFitnessPal to track all of my um, my food, right? Like when I'm working out, when I'm training. But it's not possible to get MyFitnessPal on my computer. So because of this, I still need a phone. My coffee grinder. If you've never grinded your own coffee and you still buy that stuff in the powder, I would suggest you stop. You go on Amazon, you buy a coffee grinder for about 10 bucks. And the manual one, because the electric one kind of like wastes electricity and it's kind of an experience to grind your own coffee. And you will never go back to that powdered stuff that you buy in a supermarket. Uh, a blender, because I love to juice. I think I explained this to you guys in one episode before that juicing is a great way to get an olive vegetables that you don't want to eat um, and also a good way to fill your body with fiber. The other thing is that I always keep a pair of running sneakers and really really bright colors like orange or pink or something like this because I think it's attractive and because I only wear four colors which I think I explained before and the color that I wear the most is black because I feel sexy and attractive so nothing nicer than a full black outfit with some orange sneakers. And maybe my parents would say that's also because I'm Jamaican. Who knows? I keep a yoga ball because every day I do about 2,000 to 3,000 crunches a day on my yoga ball. So it's really important. And it's also how I sit. So I use my yoga ball, my peanut ball for sitting because it engages your core um, to think, to relax. So I keep this with me. Always, like, I keep, like, two weights, maybe about five pounds each. A towel set that's all black because I don't want to worry about anything with colors. 
and some other electronic supports like a selfie stick. Beyond these things, the only other things that I own are my clothes. And of course, food because I have to eat. So what I would say is that like, I see sometimes people post these things about minimalism and they try to make it seem like it's a one day strategy and uh, that you can do it in one day, but it, it is a continuous journey and it is a continuous struggle and it is a continuous reprogramming of yourself. And what I mean by reprogramming is you have to kill the habits that you have grown to identify with yourself. You have to kill the habits that you defended at one point in your life as the right thing to do. You have to stop and to really think about what you're doing and what what the cost is in the end and how much money you're wasting. So that's pretty much it, my journey to minimalism. And every day it's a struggle um, and I continue to move and press forward. Um, and if any time any of you are struggling with your own um, decisions about minimalism and you want to ask me a question or send me an email or share your ideas, you're more than happy. I'm more than happy to receive your email. You can email me at humanarchitects@outlook.com. Or you can call me um, and leave a voicemail at plus 415-99-30559. And I'm really happy to engage with you about any subject about minimalism or about your life or health and fitness. So to wrap up today, I'm going to give you guys some tips. Uh, Tip number one is a travel tip because my travel podcast seemed to be really popular and people liked it. So I don't know if any of you guys have been to South America or if you'll go to Africa, but if you go to South America or to Africa, the best way to travel once you land in a plane, you pick a country, a place, is by bus. When you travel in Africa by bus, it's the cheapest way. For example, I went from Kenya to Tanzania for $8 when my flight was originally $189. If you want to travel in South America, it's the same. However, the cost of the bus will not be so cheap because South America is much more expensive and in many countries they use the dollar or the equivalent price of the dollar. But if you take the bus in South America, it's really cool because they have first class bus service. So typically you get about five meals, you have a waitress, you get served wine and rum, you get served hot food like chicken and rice or I don't know, beef and potatoes or if you are a vegetarian like me, vegetables and potatoes. And the other tip is about green coffee. So normally when you buy green coffee, it's an extract and it's a pill that you take. So luckily in France, I found green coffee beans. And last week I brewed them, I infused them. And so the process to make green coffee is really different. You have to, because you can't grind it in a regular grinder. Well, not in my little grinder. So you have to boil the water. You put the coffee beans in. You have to let it infuse for 24 hours before you can actually drink it. And the taste is really bitter. It's similar to coffee, but it's supposed to help you digest. It's supposed to help your immune system. I don't really see the benefits. So my tip is don't buy green coffee extract um, because I can't really see the benefit in it. And normally with myself and with my body, because I'm so in touch with it, if I put something in it, I can see the result and I can tell you what that is. With green coffee, I don't really see a result. So my tip for you is don't buy green coffee, the extract, or the bean. Just drink regular coffee, which I love. So that's pretty much it. 
Uh, this is episode 10. Um, I hope that my story about my journey to minimalization helped you out. If you want to connect with me, you can check out the Facebook group uh, and it's Human Architects, Real Human Architects. You can check out the blog, which is realhumanarchitects.com. You can email me at humanarchitects uh, at outlook.com. You can leave me a voicemail at plus 415-993-0559. Wow, I'm getting so impressed with how I can remember that number. I've just joined Pinterest, but I haven't taken the time yet to set it up. And I've joined also Google Plus and Twitter. So I will work on doing these things because I think as you guys know, I do the blog um, and the podcast on the weekend because it's a way to 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 share my passion and my life with you guys um, on my personal time. And finally, remember that your development is yours and no one else's. And awesome people shouldn't be given blanket advice. Blanket advice shouldn't be given to anyone in general. But you're awesome. Have an awesome Sunday. I'm Harlem, your host, and this was Human Architects, episode number 10. Bye-bye.